Hello and welcome to The Connected Generation. My name is Nikia Anani and I'm your host. This week on the hot seat was a special guest, Rashida Abdullahi, a fascinating human being with a fascinating background. <laughs> Rashida is the founder of Strand Sahara. What is that? That is a platform that's focused on Africa and providing legal services. She left the comfort of her job, working in a great global law firm, to decide to start off her passion, combining her passions for entrepreneurship, African business, and providing legal services by maximizing and optimizing the gift that is technology. So I don't want to spoil too much of this, but tune in and enjoy. Hi, Rashida. Welcome to The Connected Generation. It's awesome to have you today. Thanks for having me. Great, great. So you are a founder of Strand Sahara. That's Um, right. Can you just walk us through your journey, how you got to where you are today? It's always interesting to understand people's paths. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I'll keep it brief, but starting right from the beginning, I always had a career uh, in law in sight. So even as a, a young young child at school, I really liked the idea of being an advocate, of fighting for justice in upholding people's rights. And so the law and politics were also were always sort of top of, of my list of future careers. Um, it turned out that I decided to embark on a career in law. I went into the corporate world, um, finding that international arbitration uh, was the area that best suited my talents and desires really for my career in that it would allow me to be an advocate whilst also practicing law all around the world. And so after studying for my undergraduate degree in the UK at King's College London and then doing um, a master's in New York, I started working at the international law firm Hogan Lovells and I practiced there in the international um, arbitration team um, in London and Dubai for just under 10 years. Now, during my time there, I spent a lot of energy building up the Africa practice, and that really changed everything for me. It was being part of that Africa practice, doing more work on the continent um, that helped me to really see that the, the real, I guess, the real impact that I wanted to have in the world and the change that I wanted to see was in relation to the prosperous Africans, not the continent, but you know, here in the UK and elsewhere in the diaspora. And I knew that in my current role at the global law firm, I was going to be limited in my ability to affect any real change there. So I decided to leave um, and start Strand Sahara specifically with the focus of helping African-owned businesses reach the the level of global corporations, you know, global brands, so that we're able to see more prosperity really for um, African people or people of African descent all over the world and um, to make sure that we're creating the jobs that we so desperately need on the continent. I myself am um, of African descent. My father's from Sierra Leone. My mother's from Barbados, um, which means that, you know, I'm 100% African, even though I don't 
perhaps know exactly where my mother's side of the family originally came from. But I just think that identifying with um, our African identity and, you know, doing what we can to build an Africa that we can truly be proud of is something that everyone in the diaspora um, should be thinking about. I'll stop there. I could go on forever. Awesome. <laughs> and along that journey from, you know, corporate to leaving and setting up Strand Sahara, what obstacles did you face on this way? And how did you overcome these obstacles? Yeah, do you know, I mean, there's there's always obstacles. But to be honest with you, I think that the main obstacles that I face were in relation to um, really having the type of career and career progression that I, I wanted within the large organization that I was in. You know, being um, a black lawyer in the UK at one of the world's, you know, largest firms means that you're often the only black person in the room. And you, you know, you become acutely aware of that and of the fact that it's not right. Um, and so a lot of my energy was, I guess, wasted on really, you know, having to deal with the fact that because there weren't many people like me and people didn't expect me to be a lawyer when they saw me, I was having to deal with um, their biases really about my abilities, my competence, you know, whether I really should be there and um, all of the energy that you have to use in navigating that and the various microaggressions that come along with it um, make it quite hard frankly to just get on with the day job and do what you need to do to progress but you know I guess growing up in the UK to a certain extent you get used to that and we, we become resilient and learn how to progress notwithstanding those challenges um, but once I had decided that I wanted to step out and create Strand Sahara that for me was a much easier challenge in that it meant ultimately taking back the power so not having to look to others um, to recognize my ability or recognize my competence um, and instead taking on the challenge of building a business that would speak for itself you know I'm very much of the view that the more that we can take power back and back ourselves um, the more empowered we feel as individuals and the more that we're, we're able to achieve so for me, the real challenge wasn't necessarily starting Strand Sahara. It was, I guess, getting to the point where I was in a position with the necessary expertise um, and networks to start Strand Sahara, given that I was operating um, in an atmosphere of, you know, high racial inequality. I think it's so important that you've spoken about this. I can certainly relate to being the only person of colour in a corporate environment and dealing with microaggressions and feeling like you have to justify your worth or justify um, your competence. And I love, you know, the whole piece you said about being empowered as people. It's just so important to operate from a, a place of victor as opposed to victim. And then I guess my question is, in overcoming this challenge, how did you find networks or mentors or penetrate circles to be able to establish Strand Sahara? Mm. Um, well, 
I think the difficulty for me was that I was trying to create something that there wasn't really a model for in deciding that I wanted to specifically focus on um, businesses run by entrepreneurs of African descent, Africa-focused businesses, um, what I was finding is that it wasn't really an area that had been tapped into a lot by um, either the profession as a whole in the UK or those who were sort of like me going off and starting their own enterprises using technology. Um, so what I did do was find uh, groups of entrepreneurs who weren't necessarily doing the same thing, but could help me get into the right mindset, really switching from know the corporate robot almost to um, the entrepreneur who needs to be more you know willing to take risks um, more innovative more um, you know fast moving able to take fast decisions and so um, I found that in um, a business accelerator I also um, enlisted a coach to help me through the transition. And that was more about really understanding the type of business that I wanted to build. And it had to be a business that was in tune with my own values and, you know, my vision for what I wanted to build. Um, you know, I didn't want to end up building something that, that resembled the same corporate box that I was trying to escape. So I would say those were my two main areas of support. Um, unfortunately, within my sort of networks and peer groups, because what I was doing was so out of the box and unusual, um, I found that it was hard actually to find people who really understood where I was coming from or what I was mm. doing. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, going outside of that and finding others who, you know, may not be in your industry, but have a similar mindset was the answer for me. Yeah, I think essentially you're saying that how we make our mon money matters, right? It's not just for you. It wasn't just any vocation or building any business. It had to have true alignment with your values and that entailed the discovery of those values. And you mentioned tech in your business. So what role does tech play in, in your line of work? So um, for me, uh, technology is so important to incorporate in any new business that, you know, someone's starting today, I think. Mm -hmm. um, and specifically, given my target market that I wanted to work with um, entrepreneurs of African descent, the majority of whom are running small um, micro and medium sized businesses, mm. I needed to find a business model, which would enable me to serve as many as possible, at a, you know, at a really reasonable price point. Mm. And so technology really was my way of being able to achieve that, of moving from the traditional model of, um, you know, one to one consultation that you have in a, a traditional law firm, to yeah. a one to many uh, approach which is obviously suited for an online business, but means that you really need to make the most of technology um, where possible to make that work. So for me, it was about really systemizing and automating processes as much as possible, using mm. an online platform for interfacing and communicating with, with um, customers, and you know, really thinking about productizing the service rather than um, you know, having a bespoke approach. Mm, mm. Very innovative. And I'm just going to switch, you know, topics a little bit. And your target market is African entrepreneurs. And 
we can't take away the impact of the African environment on the entrepreneurs and their businesses. Mm. What role do you see Africa's social and political development playing on the entrepreneurial scene? Mm, gosh, it's a tough one that, you know, because you're so right. The business environment is so challenging and on multiple levels, you know, um, whether it's just the cost of operating a business, you know, given that, for example, in Nigeria, where you are, uh, a lot of businesses have got to generate their own electricity. You know, they've got to buy um uh, generators and pay for the upkeep of them and the diesel and, and what have you such that even running a business is more expensive than it would be elsewhere in the world um, and then you add to that things like the difficulty of, of getting finance to start the business in the first place with the you know often eye-wateringly high levels of interest rates if you want to get a loan um, and the lack of real sort of infrastructure um, for large-scale um, government grants and that sort of thing. Um, so absolutely, the business environment is important for businesses to thrive. But I guess I take inspiration from the fact that, you know, notwithstanding the challenges, small businesses, small and medium-sized businesses are the engine, really, of the economy in every single African country. They are thriving. They are providing the livelihoods and the jobs that are needed but what we desperately need is for those businesses to scale up. And I think a crucial element um, that's required is really the rule of law. And that's where the, you know, the political side comes in mm. because people need to know that, that they can do business with um, someone else and that the promises that are made will be kept. There yeah. needs to be, you know, a level of trust within society mm. in order people to be able to tra transact with each other and it's that trade um, it's that working together that enables us to become really productive and build the sort of mm. business that create wealth that create prosperity that create livelihoods um, and so if we don't have that trust which you know is very much facilitated by the rule of law it's difficult to build that level of productivity and and you know large businesses that we need mm. so need an element of um you know political support of the rule of law mm. but it's not just political on the social side as well there's a lot that can be done through you know just the values the social values that we live by mm. to help support the you know the sort of trust um that we need for businesses to thrive and let's unpack that a little bit the values what values do you think we we need to I be so, able to I love mm. this topic oh my goodness <laughs> <laughs> because it's I've just had my mind blown when I have um I've spent quite a bit of time trying to research what the pre-colonial trading practices um were in Africa mm. and mm. it's been so interesting and eye-opening um now i'm sure you will have heard of concepts like ubuntu um yeah you may not have heard of and one that i recently came across which is uh is common in the yoruba culture in the yoruba tribe is Ol omoluwabi and it's it's oh yeah it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's always a, a a set of virtue ethics that are encompassed by that word mm -hmm. um 
which are just you know really amazing when you when you think about it. So, for example, the Omoluabi virtue ethics system includes things like wisdom, integrity, hard work, courage, humility, respect for others' rights, um, the expert use of language. Now, that one I could have told you know anyone could could tell you that because whenever mm-hmm. I hear you know a Yoruba person, especially a statesman or someone that's in a position of authority speaking, you can't help but be really um, impressed and amazed at how good Mm. they are with putting across their ideas and, you know, having that that gravitas that comes with the expert use of language. Um, but, But that's all wrapped up in this idea that character is beauty. You know, a good character is the thing that we all should be striving for. That a good name is better than gold and silver. Character Mm. is wealth. Mm. Now, how strong is that? You know, the idea that actually what we should be striving for is not gold and silver. It's not dollars and uh, Naira. It's actually having good character. That is the thing that will make people respect us. That is the thing that will ultimately mean that we are able to live um, a more fulfilled life. Um, and if all of our businesses were built with that with that sort of virtue ethics system in mind, then they would be very responsible businesses that would indeed uphold, you know, the principles of justice and equity and integrity that are really needed for businesses to, to thrive. And so, you know, I just think that when we think about what's happened across Africa with colonialism, mm. um, with the transatlantic slave trade, we've lost a lot of, I think, what were really ideal virtue ethics and systems that already existed, that were part of our culture, that really meant that we were, you know, we were a culture, we were a community that was thriving in which everyone, the individual and the community as a whole um, were respected. And so we need to get back to that. We need to rediscover what Mm -hmm. those virtues were. We need to discard the ones that were imposed on us and don't really, you know, aren't working for us because they they prioritize the individual and the material over the community and the, you know, the character, character and integrity. You know, when you think about the fact that people still with impunity nowadays, you know, all levels of government down to the common man with no sense of shame, you know, that shame needs to come back, that sense Mm -hmm. of right and wrong. It was Mm -hmm. there. It was eroded, unfortunately, by, um, you know, some of the most inhumane practices that were imposed on us and that we were subjected to for hundreds and hundreds of years. But there is a way back to our true selves. And I'm so, it just really excites me whenever I think about this, because, you know, we now have the opportunity to build these values into our businesses today. I think, you know, this whole conversation is so important because not many people know what you're talking about, about the origins of our culture and the values that were embedded in our culture. And that, you know, Western culture is quite individual, individualistic. What's wrong with my mouth today? Individualistic. Whereas most African cultures tend to be more communal. Ubuntu centered around, you know, we're a collective humanity. And again, this Yoruba culture that you're speaking to speaks to the importance of character and not just 
of material things because ultimately character is what enables communities to to thrive mm -hmm. and to build trust so i think this is a really really important topic how do you think we can restore those values that you mentioned how do you think we can rediscover these values i think it's um it's really important to make this our focus and i I think that 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 requires that we take our eyes and our energy away from what we're fighting. So you know, a lot of the time we're spending the energy on fighting corruption, you know, fighting um, police brutality, fighting, fighting, fighting what we don't want, and mm. of course that's important. But what it does is is just give energy and perpetuate the thing that we're fighting it means that we're not in a position to create the alternative which may you know bring us away from the reality we have today that we're trying to get rid of um and so as much as possible i think we need to identify the problem understand what it is but rather than using all of our energy on fighting it spend that energy in imagining and then building the alternative that we want and that's where I think private businesses play such an important role because, you know, obviously we don't have the power to walk into government and, you know, change all of that um, ourselves necessarily without, you know, mm -hmm. an army behind us. But what we can do is start to build businesses that instill these values, build networks of other people who feel the same way and be the example of how things can be, the alternative you know, really focusing really, I guess, on hope rather than fear and yeah, building yeah. something. Mm -hmm. And I just think it's not just for Africa, but the world needs it, frankly. You know, we look all around the world um, and see what the rampages um, of, you know, the unbridled, morally bankrupt capitalism has done. It's mm. humanizing us as individuals, you know, turning us into, you know, little units of productivity instead of people it's destroying our planet you know and all because we seem to be um uh, just working to create more wealth or, or rather not wealth but it's it's almost like we're putting money before people putting profit before communities um and that's something that african values help us to see the the error of and, and show us the alternative you know how we can actually put people and communities first and instead of using commerce you know as as the end um, instead using it to support us as humans which ultimately is why we created it you know not the other way around mm. um, and so I just think globally we need this rethink we need this return to african values and so i think really it's upon all of us to discover what those are talk to our grandparents you know talk mm. to village elders understand how things were before and then try to bring it back amazing that's so wise and so so inspirational my last question for you if you could turn back the hands of time by 10 years and speak to your younger self, what would you tell her? Yes, well, gosh, <laughs> so much. Um, but what, would she listen? That's, my, that's always my, um, always <laughs> my concern. I think, you know, to a certain extent, there are things that 
you can't really be told you have to learn. But the thing that I would most want to tell myself and most hope that I would actually take on board is that I, you know, as you are, you are perfect. You are enough. You are, you know, everything about you is as it should be. Because I think especially growing up in the UK and, um, you know, being exposed to norms, to values, to beauty standards, you know, to all sorts of things that just didn't take account of me and my experience, you know, didn't value a lot of my, um, you know, my culture made me sort of question those things, you know, whether or not they were right, whether or not they were good, and to um, strive to be more in, um, in line with the societal norms. And it's just the wrong way to think about things, you know, it's just, it's taken a while, but obviously now I see the benefit of um, really embracing who you are, of embracing your uniqueness and really leaning in on that, you know, because that is the thing ultimately um, that will, that will give you what you need to build the life that, that you, that we all crave, one where we're really able to perfectly um, express ourselves um, authentically, honestly, um, and with love and trust. And I think that that only happens when you embrace who you are and all of who you are. So I would love to tell my younger self that, that, you know, you're perfect, just as you are, embrace that. Don't let anyone else tell you differently. Oh, I love that. I love that. And if anyone wants to get hold of you, how best can they get in contact with you? Absolutely. So if you are building a business that's Africa focused or you yourself are of African descent and you want to build the corporate giant of tomorrow, you know, you're really ambitious and you want to build something that's going to create jobs, um, livelihoods and security for Africa's people, wherever they are in the world, then please get in touch. I would love to support you. And we operate not just in the UK, but through partnerships across six different countries on the continent and growing. Um, so you can get in contact with me through our website, which is www.strandsahara, strand like a strand of hair, Sahara like the desert.com. We're on Instagram at Strand Sahara and Twitter at Strand Sahara. We're also on LinkedIn um, and where you can find me, Rashida Abdullahi. Um, and I'd just love to get in contact with you and make sure that you, you'll get, you get the support that you need to build the business that you're capable of building because we need that. I want to live in the world where there are millions of African-owned, multi-million and billion pound um, businesses. Incredible. Thank you so much, Rashida. Great to have you here today. Thank you for having me. Great to speak to you. Awesome. Wow. 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 As every day passes, I am more and more convinced that history is more important than most of us realize. The truth of the matter is, if we don't know the truth of our history, we may start to believe the lies or the stories that are present may be telling us that may be fortressed on falsehood. And what I love about that conversation was Rashida shedding light on, you know, virtue ethics and giving us some historical context to the West African or Yoruba culture um, moral values 
as well as in southern Africa and what have you. And the truth of the matter is that I think globally there's been a divergence almost from moral, ethical, virtue, business culture. It's almost accepted that we strive for profit by any means necessary. We strive to achieve profit by any means necessary, right? And unethical means corrupt ways are almost permitted, right? But the truth of the matter is that we can't build a legacy on such cultures. We can't strive for short-term gain to the detriment of long-term losses, social losses, corrosion, erosion of values. We must really strive to have a restoration and a bring back of virtue ethics. I strongly believe that if we build on virtue ethics, we will be able to build sustainable businesses that will be beacons of economic prosperity, but also beacons of social prosperity, promoting both corporate and public good. Thank you so much. Take good care. God bless.